0: The following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, grab your Bibles and find the book of Exodus chapter 3 for our message, No More Excuses. There's one of those wise office sayings that goes like this, the boss is not always right, but he is always the boss. <laughs> we all face situations in life where we are called to do things That we don't want to do. When that happens in your life, what is your reaction? When you're asked to do something that you don't want to do by someone in authority over you, such as a boss, or maybe your coach, or a teacher, or how about your God? We all have different responses. Some of us argue, others of us outright disobey, some of us evade. And some of us agree outwardly, but inwardly, we plan to simply just ignore the request. Like the little boy I heard about whose mother told him to sit down in his high chair. And he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing up. We all face situations in life where we're called upon to do things that we'd rather not do. And some of us make excuses The Metropolitan Insurance Company received some unusual excuses for accidents from some of its automobile policyholders. Here are just a few. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. The other car collided with mine without warning me about its intention. As I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up, obscuring my vision. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its way when it struck my front end. (laughs) We all know how to make excuses. We know how to give them. And too often, we receive them from others. Of course, there's a difference between our initial response, maybe saying yes or yeah, I'll do that, and our eventual compliance. You may remember the story of the the parable that Jesus told about two brothers who were asked by their father to go and work in a vineyard. And one said no, but eventually went. And the other said yes, but never went. Matthew 21. Our passage today concerns Moses' response to God telling him to do something that he'd just rather not do. We saw last week in verse 7 of Exodus 3, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Can I just pause here to say you could apply that same truth to our situation today with the pandemic and and really any suffering for that matter. The Lord sees our affliction. He's heard our cry He knows our sufferings. Then the Lord continues saying to Moses in verse 8 of chapter 3, I have come down to rescue them, the Israelites, and two verses later in verse 10, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, Moses did not want this job, okay? He did not go on monster.com searching for this particular job. He hadn't submitted his resume. He hadn't even applied for the job. He had not gone through an interview process. He hadn't taken any kind of personality or aptitude tests. He hadn't bought a new suit or got a nice haircut. There had been no opportunity for him to to consider this job. And in fact, 40 years earlier, when he tried his best to set God's people free, how did that work out for him? He ended up, being a resounding failure, and he went and ran away for another 40 years. He had been there, done that, and he didn't wish to try it again. And that is why he is here in the wilderness tending sheep. His opportunities for leadership are in the past. They're over. No more opportunities. Or so he thought. Moses learned, as we must learn, he is at a place in his life of no more excuses. Now here's the big idea for you to remember. Sometimes our excuses stack up and get in the way of us doing something good for God. Why is it that we feel like we can offer all sorts of excuses when it comes to things of the church that would sound ridiculous if we offered them anywhere else? Have you ever wondered what would happen if people were as intense and committed and determined about church as they are about sporting events, or any of a number of other activities or hobbies that we get involved in. For example, here are some excuses a person might use to stop attending sporting events. Every time I went, they asked for money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were uncomfortable. The coach never came to see me. The referee made a decision I didn't agree with. I was sitting with some hypocrites. They were only there to see what other people were wearing. Some games went into overtime and I got home late. The band played numbers I didn't know. The games were scheduled when I wanted to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Those excuses are nuts, right? When it comes to thinking about sporting events, the same is true for church. And the excuses we come up with of why we don't go to church and why we don't take our children to go to church. Remember, after God tells Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It is then that Moses asks, who am I that I should go? That's the first excuse. We're going to see this morning, when God further confronts Moses with this command, well, Moses begins to offer more excuses. Have you ever responded with excuses? You're asked to teach a class, the excuses start. You're asked to serve in the nursery, the excuses start. God puts in your heart to share your faith with a friend, you can come up with all sorts of excuses why you don't need to do it. You're made aware of someone in need, and you have the ability to meet that need, you start making excuses. In fact, if you're asked to do just about anything for the Lord, the excuses can start. I'm too busy. I'm not ready. I'm already doing enough. Let somebody else do it. I'm not qualified. Sometimes our excuses pile up and get in the way of doing something good for God. Sometimes we worry about the worst case scenarios. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? What if I don't know what to say? What if they reject me? What if I offend them? Here's a truth to jot down. You can be so concerned about what might happen that you don't hear what God says will happen. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God has no sooner said to Moses, I'm sending you. than Moses starts asking questions like, what shall I say to them? Moses' excuse in verse 13 begins with a what-if scenario. And it was totally hypothetical. Moses' response was, but what if they ask me a question... That I don't have the answer to. What ifs are success killers? Have you ever used a what if as an excuse for not sharing your faith? What if uh, they ask me something I don't know? What if I make things worse by trying to share my faith? What ifs were excuses that Moses used and we can use in our lives as well? Moses was so concerned about what might happen that he didn't see right in front of him what God said would happen. And that can be our problem too. You see, God didn't ask Moses to go and explain all that he didn't know about God. He asked Moses to go and explain all he did know about God. And I just encourage you this morning, when you think about sharing your faith, sharing the gospel, talking about what you learned in church this morning... When you talk to your friends or your co-workers or your family and you share with them, if they ask you a question you don't know, just say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. And then share what you do know. Continue to talk about what God is leading you to share that he's put on your heart. God told Moses it doesn't have to do with who he is, but with who God was. And in any challenge, it's important to know who's sending us into the challenge. What is the reason that so many people don't commit themselves to God? Quite frankly, they don't know God in a personal way. I mean, they sort of know about Him and they know things about Him. But like the Hebrews in Egypt, they have lost track of who God is and what their relationship is to Him. He's not a grandfather type figure who's sitting up in heaven simply watching us, waiting to zap us when we do wrong and waiting to reward us when we do right. Or He's not turning a deaf ear to our, our speech or our actions. He's not winking at our sin. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the giver of life. He is life itself. When God tells Moses that I am who I am in the very next verse, He's literally saying that I am who was and is and always shall be and I will always continue being who I am. In an article in Esquire magazine, former NFL star Dion Sanders talks about growing up on the mean streets of Fort Myers, Florida where exposure to some would-be athletes spurred him on to make a success of his life. He explains this, and I quote, I call them idas. If I'd done this, I'd be making $3 million. If I'd practiced a little harder, I'd be a superstar. He says, they were as fast as me when they were kids, but instead of working hard for their dreams, they chose drugs and a life of street corners. When I was young, I practiced. My friends didn't. They went straight to the streets and never left That moment after school is the moment we need to grab. We don't need any more idas. You see, in God's kingdom, there are a lot of idas too. One was named Moses. At age 40, he thought he could deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt, but he failed. At age 80, after spending 40 years shepherding sheep in the wilderness... In the burning sand of the Sinai desert, God called him to do what he originally sought out to do. I am, whatever you need of, is basically what God is saying in verse 14. Look there in your Bibles. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. In verse 14, God says, Let them know that I am, has sent you. Moses was on a journey. The task before him was huge. And you want to know who I am, God says, I am whatever you need. Not what you used to need, not what I'm going to be, but what I am to you right now. Immutable, unchangeable. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm rock solid. That's my name and you can count on me for whatever you need. 1,500 years later, Jesus would come on the scene and he would shed further light on this name of I Am by declaring this, I am the bread. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the vine. You see, Jesus took the name of God... And he filled in the blank. Show us the Father, Philip said. He that has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus answered in John 14, 9. No wonder 200 armed soldiers seeking to arrest Jesus fell backwards upon hearing his irrefutable declaration of deity. You see, upon hearing him say, I am he, or literally, I am, they fell at his feet. The Lord has been teaching me lately That he is not the God that I give. In other words, I give bread. I give deliverance. I give strength. I give healing. No, he's infinitely more than that. We think we need bread. We need healing. We need deliverance. We need companionship. In actuality, however, what we're really craving is Jesus Christ himself. It's not something he gives us. It's that he gives of himself. It's someone. We get him step by step, day by day. Moses' response was born out of the humility of his years in the wilderness. He didn't fill up to the task. In him, we see the pattern of sin, consequences, and inadequacy. Moses sinned in his pride. He thought he could take care of everything by killing the Egyptian. He ran ahead of God. And as a result, he faced 40 years of consequences In the wilderness. Those years made him feel entirely inadequate for the task. But as we'll see, that's actually a very good thing. In other words, the more you are aware of your inadequacies, the more God can use you. Look at the first part of verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob... Has sent me to you. When you become more aware of who you are apart from Christ, which is nothing and nobody, and you gain a better awareness of who God is, which is everything and all you need in Him, then and only then can God use you for the task. The problem with most of us is we want to be in control. We want to be in charge of our lives and everybody else's lives. We live in a push-button society. We have the control panel in our hands. We know what it's like to control the television. We push a button and we change channels. When it comes to marriage counseling, I think the two top needs in marriage counseling, one is finances, there's disagreements about that. But secondly, it's who controls the remote, okay, on the television, That's a very distorted picture of reality. We think we can control everything with the push of a button. It's true. When we don't like the radio station in the car, what do we do? We push the button and we make it change stations. If we don't like something, it's click, click, and it's on to another station. We have automatic garage doors openers. We have automatic car door openers. And through our Echo Smart display with the push of a button, Alexa can now control our lights, our thermostat, and any other smart devices you have connected in your home. That's power, isn't it? It gives us a great feeling of being in control. But listen, that's a lie. That's a deception. You ever had your devices fail? (laughs) You ever push the button and it not work? There's no guarantee that the the image of being in control is going to last. The biblical truth of who is the center of the universe is contained in our text, verse 15: the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's in control, He's in charge, He's the great I am. Jesus will say to his disciples, go into all the world and baptize them and preach the gospel and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus commissioned his disciples to set people free. And I'm sure they must have wondered, as we wonder sometimes ourselves, who are we to accomplish this massive monumental task? But Jesus went on to say in Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. You see, the key is not who you are, but who goes with you. That's the key. And Moses learned who God is when he identified himself as the great I am. When you know someone's name, you can communicate a lot better, can't you? Because it's a personal relationship. For example, if I'm walking through Target and someone calls out, Hey, mister. Well, they might be talking to me and I'll turn around. Or they might be talking to the cart boy, you know, or the clerk, or somebody else in the store. They may or may not be talking to me. It's like when somebody waves to you in a restaurant. That happened to me the other day. I was sitting in a booth in a restaurant and somebody came in and they started waving. And I, I waved back, you know. And then I realized they were waving at the person behind me, you know. I felt like such a fool, you know. If, however, I'm walking through Target and I hear somebody call behind me, hey, Pastor Carl. I know that they're not just calling some random stranger. I know that they're not just calling for some person they don't know. I know they're calling me and it's a long-time friend. Or it's, a, it's somebody who knows me personally calling out my name. So too Moses is asking God's name in order that he can communicate with him more deeply, more intimately. It's as if he's saying, Lord, I'm going to I'm going to lead 3 million people out of captivity. I need to know you in a personal, intimate way. In fact, in Bible days, a person's name was an indication of his stature. That's why we're asked to pray in Jesus' name. It's not something we just tack on the end of a prayer like a, you know, 10-4 over and out. No, we pray in Jesus' name because we're praying in harmony with his will and his power. And his authority. And his nature. So in asking God's name, Moses is in essence saying, what's your nature? And God for the first time here in Exodus 3, literally identifies himself as I am that I am. The tetragrammaton, you've probably never heard that word before. There's the exact pronunciation we don't really know is the Hebrew name of God transliterated to the letters Y-H-W-H or J-H-V-H, articulated as Yahweh or Jehovah. You see, because the Jewish people felt God's name to be so holy, they said it should only be spoken by the high priest once each year, and they abbreviated the name in the scrolls to Y-H-W-H. Whenever you read the the word LORD in all capital letters in the Old Testament, it's the Tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, the pronunciation. Although the high priest said it once a year, was eventually lost. And for years, people pronounced it Jehovah. And in the last few decades, it's been pronounced Yahweh. But no one knows for sure because the vowels were left out. Moses, however, knew. Moses knew God's name. Why? The answer is simple, he asked. The question isn't where you're going, but who goes with you. Look at the last part of verse 15. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. If you face a monumental task, raising your son or your daughter, being the wife or the husband you're supposed to be, shining for the Lord in a hard worksite or school setting where people are not believers and they reject your faith just physically or financially making it to the next week ahead then Jesus is your I am. Jesus is the one who is the bread who can satisfy you. The shepherd who laid down his life for you. And he wants to whisper his name in your ear to write his nature on your heart in a way That others may not understand, but you will when you have that intimate walk with Christ. It will be as personal and as powerful as Moses experiencing the name of God in our text today. You see, a lot of times we think, well, that happened to Moses. That was a a magnificent event. It was supernatural. None of that could happen to me. Yes, it can. In a little bit different way because we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have so much more than Moses had. And we can relate to him in a very real way. The real issue this morning isn't loneliness or cancer or finances or relationships. The real issue you face is a revelation of the nature and presence of God the Father. He's all you need and he'll make himself known to you personally through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is respond by faith and trust in him. God says that he will send Moses to Pharaoh... That he may bring his people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now Moses at age 80 was not nearly so eager to be a deliverer as he was at age 40. In fact, let's examine this text from the theme of no more excuses. Moses at 40 felt well equipped and up to the task. And he made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. Moses at 80 felt completely inadequate for the task. And this was the time that God could use him The most. You see, age does that, doesn't it? Hopefully, the older we get, no matter what age we are, we're wiser than the year before or the few years before. And the humbler we get, the older we get. When we're young, we think we have all the answers. When we get older, we realize there are a lot more questions than there are answers. Young seminary students think they understand the Bible. Older pastors who have been pastors for a number of years realize there's a, a large section of the Bible they still don't understand. Mark Twain put it like this, I left home at 18 convinced my father was the most ignorant man I'd ever known. I returned at 21 amazed at what the old man had learned in three years. Here's a truth from our text today. As you obey, you find constant confirmation that God provides. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Surely I visited you, God says. I'm aware of what you're going through. I've heard the crackling of the whips against your backs. The unreasonable demands made by your your taskmasters. And I've surely visited you. And he visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this earth in the flesh. And God says in the words of Psalm 34, 8. To the unbeliever and the unconverted. Oh, taste and see that the, the Lord is good. That's his word to you today. If you're not a believer Taste and see that the Lord is good. Put Him to the test. Place your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you'll find out He is real. And to those of us who are believers, we get faced again and again with doing His will in our lives, don't we? It comes to us head on. We want to go one way, but God says, no, go this way. And we think, oh, I'm supposed to, to walk the way he's telling me. And then when we look back and we've gone the way he's told us, then we realize how he provided for us all along the way. We learn from that verse in Job, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold, Job twenty three ten. That's the voice of Christian maturity. You go God's way even when you want to go your way. Now these signs were not just for Moses. They were also for the whole people of Israel. Even for Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh had the free will to let God's people go on his own. But he didn't do that. He was too stubborn. He was too obstinate. He wanted to be in control. And so he fought against God until the very end. And he lost the life of his own son. When God sends you somewhere, you discover God's been working there all along. Verses 19 through 22. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." See, God's laying out the game plan right here. God does all the work. It's our job just to show up and be faithful. The Bible tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The God who sends you, it's the God who has complete control over your life and over the life of everybody else in your circle of influence. And listen, He's already taken care of everything. Once you get where He's sending you, He's been there working all along. That's what He says. At first, Pharaoh will say no, but when you finally leave, you'll leave enriched. God promises. I can't help but think of another who would come, not only to set captives free, but who would give gifts freely. Our greater than Moses, Jesus Christ, did that to deliver us from our sins and from any bondage to sin by the power of His Holy Spirit. It may be that your life is pretty settled right now. Maybe it's going along pretty smoothly. You're pretty comfortable where you are. But perhaps you've been feeling a a urging, an inspiration by the Holy Spirit, a leading in your heart to do something, to go somewhere. To tell somebody something God's telling you to do. A prompting of the Holy Spirit to step out of your comfortable world and take a risk to go to some new place, to go to some person or to do something for the good of God. And it's a scary thing to say yes to God's call especially when you don't know for sure what He's calling you to do. It's frightening to say yes and set off on some adventure to an unknown destination. It's terrifying to think, yes, Lord, I'll go and do whatever you want me to do. Because we don't know exactly sometimes what it is. But I can testify. You need not be afraid to say yes to God's call. God deeply loves you and he calls those that he loves. He has nothing but your best interests in mind and the people that he's sending you to, their best interests in mind. If God is speaking to you in this way this morning, I'm going to invite you to offer no more excuses. Maybe there's somebody that God has laid on your heart during this message that you know is unchurched. You know is lost. And you need to speak to them. You need to share the gospel with them. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to do that today. Maybe there's somebody God's laid on your heart this morning you know who's sick. Maybe in the hospital. Maybe facing COVID. Maybe on Near the end of their life, I want to encourage you to pray for them. I want to encourage you to reach out to them and let them know that you care. Maybe there's some decision you need to make. Maybe it regards uh, work or school or relationships or whatever it may be. When God calls, if we say yes, we're following him. He will lead us every step of the way. Would you please stand, bow your heads, and close your eyes. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.